December 2017. Nadia Atwi's vehicle is discovered wedged into some bushes at a park near her home. Just want to tell her that I love her. Come back today. I would forget about what happened. But Nadia is never seen again. If I go back, I would react differently, but I didn't know. The next call, the case of Nadia Atwi, available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. Earlier this month, on a cold and snowy day in South Korea, a convoy of black cars drove into a military base in the county of Yangcheng, near the North Korean border. Inside one of those cars was the South Korean Army's most famous new recruit. I'm talking about 30-year-old Kim Sok-jin, who you might know as Jin, the oldest member of BTS, which is probably the biggest boy band in the world right now. The convoy drove right past a crowd of reporters and a few dozen fans who came to say goodbye. There were also around 300 riot police there in case of a bigger crowd, but they didn't really have anything to worry about. Most of the BTS army had stayed home at the request of the band's management. Jin was sent off by his family and his bandmates. There's a really sweet video where they're kind of lingering, and you can tell that there's a lot of love there and things being left unsaid, and they all take turns rubbing his freshly shaved head. (laughs) Jin is the first BTS member to enlist, but it's only a matter of time before the rest of them have to do the same. That means for at least a few years, the band is on hiatus. But this wasn't always a sure thing. In Korea, men between 18 and 28 have to serve in the military for about two years. But there have been exemptions for celebrities. And for a long time, there was talk of one for BTS, given how much they've contributed to the Korean economy. The whole saga has raised a lot of questions. Like, who deserves an exemption from having to serve in the military? Why is conscription still the reality for so many South Koreans? And what does it all say about the power and influence of K-pop both in and out of the country? My guest, Michelle Cho, is going to help us make sense of all of this. She studies Korean pop culture and teaches East Asian studies at the University of Toronto. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I want to start with what happened last week when Jin reported to the training station and he officially enlisted in the army. This was a long time coming, but it wasn't a sure thing for a while. So how did this all play out with fans? What was the reaction that day? Fans were sad. I mean, there were a lot of fond posts you know, saying goodbye and uh, accepting the fact that Jen would be out of the public eye for the next 18 months. 
the sentiment in the fandom seemed to be that, you know, this was an inevitability and that the group members were doing their national duty. And so um, this would be a period of hiatus. So their absence would be felt, but that, you know, in the end, they were proud of the group members and especially Jen for for being the first one to take this step. And why is this moment, Jen enlisting, why is it a big deal in the world of K-pop? I think that BTS were seen as possibly a test case because they have achieved such massive success outside of Korea. They've contributed billions of dollars to their country's economy and are more than most to generate interest in South Korean culture. They've even got involved in issues outside the pop world. Perhaps the world's biggest band has spoken at the United Nations and met President Biden at the White House. They've charted a ton on the Billboard um, Top 40 charts. Uh, They are a regular fixture on radio now. So their visibility and success, um, also their multiple Grammy nominations, um, led to people expecting that they might be exempted from their military duties. And there was talk of a possible exemption for a long time, right? It's something that fans were hoping for and that the Korean government was seriously considering. And why is that? Can you walk me through the argument for granting them an exemption? So currently, there are specific categories of international performance, let's say, or service that allow individuals to be exempted from their military service because the thought is that they are already serving their country um, through their success or through their um, activities in whatever that arena happens to be. So there are some music and performance categories for generally classical musicians or classical um, artists who are uh, who who do well in international competition. Mm -hmm. And then the other category is for athletes who um, if you medal at all, so gold, silver, bronze in the Olympics as a member of the national team in your sport, then you are automatically exempted. There are lots of people in Korea who think that BTS and their global success, and especially their achievements reaching mainstream visibility and popularity in North America, um, constitute an equivalent or even greater type of, you know, service. Mm -hmm. So in terms of cultural diplomacy and, um, you know, national branding, than these other artists who are perhaps um, a little bit more obscure. Right. The counter argument, however, is that pop stars have never been included in this group who gain exemptions. Mm -hmm. So um, there are also a lot of people in South Korea who think that no matter how prominent you become and and how much fame you are bringing to South Korea, you're nonetheless engaged in commercial for-profit activity. So that isn't equivalent to, you know, an Olympic sports star. Right. So so just to recap, I guess, on one side, there is this view that BTS should be given an exemption because of their achievements um, and how they've raised the prestige of Korea on the international stage. But on the other side, there is the argument that this is not the same thing as what 
athletes in international competitions or like classical musicians who've won awards have done. And that that, from what I understand, is being argued by Korea's military manpower administration, right? That is correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but we do know that this was being seriously considered by the Korean government because they passed a law a couple of years ago that allowed Jin to delay the start of his service by by two years, right? That's correct. Yeah. So in December 2020, the National Assembly passed a law that allowed K-pop performers who have achieved a certain measure of success to defer their service um, beyond the age of 28. So um, they allowed a kind of two-year deferral extension. Mm -hmm. And this was right after the huge success of Dynamite, which made BTS the first South Korean act to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Seven-member South Korean act rules the Hot 100 with its first all-English language single after previously reaching a number four high with On in March. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so this law is colloquially referred to as the BTS law in South Korea because it seemed so clearly intended to allow BTS specifically mm-hmm. to continue their activities. The reason why this is all happening is because, by law, young men in South Korea, they have to perform two years of mandatory military service between the ages of 18 and 28. And why does South Korea still have conscription? Why is this the reality for for young men in the country? Mm -hmm. So the state of political affairs on the Korean Peninsula kind of makes South Korea a tremendously important strategic location. I think that the government, um, especially, you know, conservative administrations like the new president's Yoon Seok-yeol's administration that is interested in really close alliance with the U.S. and maybe a kind of difference from his predecessor, President Moon Jae-in, who was really aiming more for a detente and reconciliation with North Korea. Um, They really need to promote the necessity of maintaining a militarized readiness for whatever North Korea happens to do. North Korea has dramatically increased the number of its missile tests. It's conducted six in just 12 days. Well, that launch prompted the Japanese government to warn people to seek shelter. The US, Japanese and South Korean militaries responded with live fire drills a day later. Given the need to maintain a certain size of readily deployable personnel in the military, and also um, this is related to concerns about birth rate. Slow birth rate has been discussed for several years now as an impending crisis for South Korea. And also, you know, because the need to promote military service as not just a national good, but an individual good. Mm-hmm. I think that these are the forces that kind of feed into the controversial status of exemption for groups like BTS or others. Do we know much about how the public feels right now about mandatory service? It's quite split because a lot of people will, again, privately say that they don't want to go. They don't want to do it. They're not excited to go. 
I really didn't want to go to the military because I was still young. Most men go in their early 20s. I hated the fact that I'd be robbed of two years of my youth, but it was unavoidable. So I had to go. To explain that to people abroad, I went because I had to. No one really wants to go. Once they're in, they're just counting down the days before they get out. But then publicly, especially for Korean men, the idea prevails that military service is a coming-of-age ritual and that you are not a man until you have done your service, you're a child. Mm. So it's a kind of natural rite of passage and that the connections that you make in the military are going to be important to grease the wheels of success in the civilian world too because you make these lifelong relationships and all of this kind of homosocial importance is put onto the military service. So there's also the view that if K-pop artists, so if BTS did not do their military service, if they did indeed get an exemption, then their popularity within South Korea would decrease anyways mm. because they would be seen as not real men, as people who had not served their patriotic duty, that were not model citizens. And pop idols in Korea are under this pressure to um, be model citizens. That's interesting. Because I remember this did come up when we covered the last Korean election, one of the big mm -hmm. undercurrents, which President Yoon Suk-yeol seemed to sort of capitalize on was this backlash against feminism among young men. And yes. one of the big gripes that young men had was being required to serve these two years in the military. And they felt like it was putting them at a disadvantage compared to women when they were we're looking for jobs, right? That's correct, yeah. So the kind of gender wars that have gotten more inflamed, especially online, since probably the mid-2010s, the uptake of the Me Too movement and the increased prominence of kind of feminist criticisms of not just heteropatriarchy, but the way that Sexism seems to be a deeply ingrained element of Korean work culture and society. Um, that led to this counter-reaction or a certain backlash mm -hmm. on the part of men. So the rise of a kind of men's rights discourse, um, where ironically, the fact that men are complaining about their undue burden, perhaps, of serving in comparison with women sort of suggests their true feelings mm -hmm. about their service right. too, right? That opportunity costs are way too high and that they are losing out and that, you know, their time in the military is, again, not time well spent in terms of, you know, their careers and, and future success. Right. But I guess, like, it's still taboo to publicly say that and, and really be publicly opposed to performing this thing that's seen as one of the key pillars of being a citizen. So given all of that, how, how did the public feel about BTS potentially being exempt from having to serve in the military? So again, the response was quite split. And I think that the reason why the question of BTS's exemption dragged on so long, why the issue was not definitively resolved until the group themselves made the announcement that they would absolutely serve is because the government was trying to gauge public opinion. 
And there were, you know, National Assembly people who thought that the Korean public would be more favorable or more in favor of BTS being exempt because of the fact that they have been so successful and they certainly have a large influence on the tourist economy and they bring a lot of money into the national economy. So they were really trying to get a sense of whether or not these views among regular Koreans would shift to a point that they could come out and say, okay, the people want us to give BTS an exemption. Mm -hmm. um, but that never happened. It was always really polarized. And that fact is a reflection of the political landscape more broadly in South Korea. Like a lot of places in the world today, there's really a kind of division between conservatives and liberals, or you know, there, there seems to be a kind of half-half um, split. Mm -hmm. I am going to tell you a story that a powerful state doesn't want you to know about tens of thousands who have disappeared. Once they get into the hands of the military, they will be tortured brutally. It's a story so dangerous to tell that for some, it's meant ending up on a kill list. She was seen as a dangerous political actor and a threat to Pakistan's security, but she was a local hero. The Kill List a six-part investigative podcast. Available now. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. And so ultimately, Jin and BTS didn't wait for the decision from the government and they announced that they were going to enlist voluntarily, but it seems like they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And do you think they really had a choice in the matter? I don't think so. The right moment to grant the exemption, perhaps, might have been after their first Billboard number one hit. Um, but that didn't happen. And then there were some thoughts that maybe if they won a Grammy Award, that that would satisfy their critics in South Korea who didn't see the awards that they had gotten previously, like the American Music Awards um, or the MTV Awards as legitimate international competitions. <laughs> um, but, you know, they didn't get a Grammy. So I think that they had to serve. And in a lot of ways, we don't know, but the group members may have wanted to serve, mm. you know. So they didn't really have a choice. But what they did have some agency over is the announcement of timing, because they were seen as being vulnerable to the whims of the government mm -hmm. so that they would just have to wait until someone else decided their fate. And so instead, they took the step of making the announcement themselves. Mm -hmm. And that has really led to less attention on the government's stance because it doesn't matter in the case of BTS what yeah. the government's stance is. I wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier, which is this expectation that people have of pop culture figures in Korea. What do you think we need to understand about that and how it's different from the way celebrities and pop culture figures are treated 
in the West. Yeah, I think that K-pop idols and idols in particular, because they are very young celebrities often, but other movie stars and uh, artists in South Korea, they are expected to be not only artistically talented and successful in that regard, but also morally upright. That's an aspect of celebrity that I think is maybe less important in North America, I think, with, you know, ever since the emergence of ideal of cultural rebellion, you could connect that to the James Dean mm. teenage rebellion figure that emerges in the 1950s or the countercultural revolution of the 1960s, you know, American and maybe by extension, Western celebrities, they can become more successful if they're seen as unconventional or nonconformist or individualistic, etc. Um, anti-establishment. Anti-establishment, exactly. In Asia, I think that there's a totally different paradigm of thinking about how a famous person comes to be famous and what obligations they may have. Um, but yeah, for K-pop idols, any whiff of scandal will lead to their demise, really, mm -hmm. in the industry. Yeah. Um, because the public really feels entitled to hold public figures to a very high standard of moral behavior. And so there are actually examples of pop artists in the 90s who, you know, decided to emigrate in order to get out of their military service. Mm -hmm. And they were never allowed to come back to South Korea again. Yeah, I read they about a guy. exiled. Steve, Steve mm -hmm. Yu is, is an exactly. example of that, right? Yeah. So he had the opportunity to get a green card, which is, you know, permanent residency in the United States and therefore revoked his Korean citizenship. And not only the government saw this as treasonous, but the public mm. also thought it was such cowardice that his career was over yeah. at that point. Despite winning a lawsuit against the consulate that denied him a visa, Korean-American singer Steve Yu was banned from entering Korea. The singer became the subject of public outcry after he gave up his South Korean citizenship for U.S. citizenship, which was reportedly aimed at dodging South Korea's mandatory military service. You continuously... So it's interesting that despite all of these things, even though BTS ultimately made the decision to serve, the government was actually considering whether it would be of greater national interest for them not to do that, which to me says a lot about the power that K-pop has in the country. And I'm, and I'm curious, as someone who studies Korean culture, what do you think about that? What does this say about the way that the government values the K-pop industry? I would say in the 21st century, there has been across conservative and progressive regimes that culture industries are a very important sector of the Korean economy and also an area that is worth supporting for security interests and cultural diplomacy. Mm -hmm. So it's not just economic, it's also political and geopolitical, right? Yeah. Since that's the case, and I think that the Korean public is also more or less in favor of the public supporting these industries that have brought so much attention 
uh, positive attention to South Korea, I think it makes sense that, you know, this situation with BTS really demonstrated the extent to which K-pop performers could be seen as also national representatives or national diplomats, really. I mean, the fact that BTS started appearing at functions that you wouldn't associate necessarily with mm -hmm. like pop <laughs> pop music right. or um, pop promotion like the UN, like the White House. Hi, we're BTS, and it is a great honor to be invited to the White House today to discuss the important issues of anti-Asian hate crimes, Asian inclusion, and diversity. Thank you, Mr. Secretary General, UNICEF Executive Director, and all the excellencies and distinguished guests from across the world. Last November, BTS launched the Love Myself campaign with UNICEF, building on our belief that true love first begins with loving myself. Yeah, I know they worked with the city of Seoul to promote tourism, stuff like that, right? Yes, exactly. They have been the Seoul um, tourism ambassadors for a few years now. They partnered with UNICEF. And during the pandemic, they received diplomatic passports from the South Korean government, you know, so they were literally ambassadors. <laughs> so they're uh, an example of this kind of blurring of the boundary between commercial artist and national representative. Before we go, I just want to go back to BTS for a second and what's happening next for them. They're going to be on hiatus mm -hmm. for a few years. What do you think this uh, stage of them going into military service, what do you think it might mean for their future as a band? Okay, so my personal view as a fan, as ARMY, is that whether you know they served in the military or not, the fact is that K-pop is a musical genre that's associated with teenage or young audience in Asia and also outside of that, although there are fans of all ages. And BTS had played through this coming of age storyline in their content, and they were going to have to graduate into a new stage. Mm -hmm. And that was, in my view, going to lead inevitably to kind of solo projects and maybe less reliance on the group configuration that we expect from K-pop as a performance genre. So I think it's an open question. I think we'll see what happens again with all of the individual member solo efforts and then what they do when they come back. I think they will definitely reunite in some form or other, but you know, it's not going to just be returning back to the way things were before, you know, mm -hmm. things will inevitably change. Yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. It's such an interesting story, so much to unpack. Thank you so much, Michelle. I appreciate you being here and doing this with us. Thank you for having me. It was really fun to be able to talk through all of these things. And yeah, it's a, it's a complicated situation, especially for fans. So I'm really glad that you're putting all of this information out there. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producers are Joyta Shangupta and Ashley Mack. 
Our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. And before I let you go, I want to ask you for a quick favor. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening to this. It only takes a second and it really helps new listeners discover the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I wish you all the best over the holidays. Just so you know, we do have an episode next week and it is a really interesting one. So make sure you watch the feed for that. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.